Good morning. Oh, brothers and sisters, I hope that those are our heart's desires, that our, our strength is found in Him and that our souls long after Him. I'm thinking that, uh, you know, some of these shows that we watch and that, you know, as a deer pants for the water, you know, and he's in this dry and thirsty land, you know, and he pants for this water and when he finds that he can't have enough to drink and may that be what's us. That's the image that we're getting is that when we come to God's word that we just can't get enough of it. We have to have more and more and more of it. So may that be your heart's desire. Uh, with that, please turn to Ephesians chapter 4 as we'll continue working through chapter 4. We're going to go from verses uh, 12 to 16 today and then next week we will take probably a big chunk and probably do the rest of the chapter we can condense all that, all that in. So let's uh, pray and then let's dig in. Father, you are so good to us. To put us in a place, Father, where we can come and we can worship you in song and giving and in the preaching of your word without the fear of persecution. Father, you've graced us much with this. And yet, Father, I pray for those churches that meet that are persecuted, that, Father, they see you probably more clearly than we do. They love you more dearly than maybe we do. Father, I pray that that would not be true, but I pray, Father, that we would be a church here at Faith Bible that sees you clearly and loves you dearly and adores Christ above all things, that we cherish your word, Father. So, Father, today I just pray that you would help us to see your word, be encouraged by it. Lord, I too pray for those that need comfort, that you would comfort them today, Father, that you would wrap your arms around them and hold them tightly. Father, I pray for those that are hurting, that you would heal them too, whether it be physical, spiritual, or emotional pain, Lord, that you would bring the sweet balm of your word, the gospel, to their lives. May you be glorified now, Lord, in the preaching of your word. Amen. So last week we started talking about how God grows the church and how he does this internally. We see in this passage that there's, there's no gimmicks. God doesn't have any gimmicks to grow the church. He doesn't have any, um, his methodology is not uh, seeker-friendly or seeker-sensitive, but his methodology is this is how we're going to build the church internally. So last week what we saw was that he does this by gifting believers, that we all have this gift, and we saw that in 1 Peter 4.10, that Peter says, with this spiritual gift that all of us have, we are to use it for the body. And then he talks about gifted men. 
He talks about gifted men. And that's why I want to pick up is look at verse 11. He says, and he gave, this is Christ. Christ is the gift giver. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head in the Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So the first thing I want to look at is he gave, right? Verse 11, he gave, we're looking at the very end, shepherds, teachers, teaching shepherds, teaching pastors. Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. This is why we have elders, This is why we have pastors. This is why we have shepherds. And their function is very clear right here. Their function is to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body. That is what they are to do. So how do they equip? How do they bring believers to the maturity in Christ? Well, we teach them Christ. We preach Christ. We bring them to who Christ is. This is how the shepherds do this. We show them Christ. We pray the word of Christ would dwell richly in each believer. This is what the shepherds are to do. They are to care for the sheep in this way. Listen to 2 Timothy 3.16. It says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And then verse 17, I forgot to put in there, says, so that the man of God may be equipped for the work of service, right? That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We are to equip the saints. So how do we do this? Four ways that we do this. We do it first with the word. The word, 2 Timothy 3.16, we just read that. It's one-on-one discipleship. It's discipling. It's preaching the word from the pulpit. It's Sunday schools. It's home studies. It's encouraging in personal devotions. The shepherds are to come alongside and encourage you in your personal devotions. How's your reading time? Are you spending word with the are you spending time with the word? Are you in the word? Are you with the Lord? And not only with the word are we to equip, but we're to equip with prayer. We're to equip with prayers. How is the prayer life of your shepherds? Do you guys know how they pray for you? Do they know what to pray for you? Do they know where you're struggling? Do they know where you're hurting? Do they know this? How do they effectively pray for you? I went to a conference a bunch of, bunch of years ago, I think, and it was in Louisville, Kentucky, and it was called Together for the Gospel. And one of the things was, was the average time that a pastor spends in prayer, can anybody tell me? Per day. 
Five minutes? A little bit more. A little bit more. So a, a pastor actually, in prayer, this was a study, 30 minutes. But he prays five minutes for his congregation. That's it. That's it. Five minutes for the people in his congregation. Your shepherds need to equip you by praying for you so they know how effectively to pray for you. The elders need to know how to effectively pray for you so that they can equip you in the right ways. Listen to Colossians 4.12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always, struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. This word struggling means to contend, to fight, to strive earnestly, to agonize. Brothers, I'm talking to you too. Is that how you pray for this congregation? Do you agonize in prayer for their salvation, for their growth, for them to see Christ? Do you agonize over it? Do you strive earnestly for it? This is how we are to be praying for our congregations. This is how we equip them, is to show them the example of how we are to pray for each other. Husbands, do you pray this way for your wives, for your families? Are you agonizing in prayer? It's the same word, this agonizomy that Christ had in the, in, in the garden when he agonized in prayer to take this cup from me. Paul uses the same language. Third, it's with hardship. It's with hardship. Most of the time, you're going to find shepherds that when we go to equip, when we're equipping the believers, there's hardships in our own life that we can share. We have to be vulnerable. Shepherds have to be vulnerable in their, in their hardships. This is what Paul says in Acts 4, 20 to 14, 22, or Luke writes. He says, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. There's going to be hardships. There's going to be hardships. And there's going to be hardships in your lives. Share them with your shepherds. Share them so they know how to properly equip. They know how to properly equip. James 1, 2 through 4. This is the only book I want to take out of my Bible. It's a tough one. So James, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This is what we're to do. And finally, the fourth way is with pain. With pain, we all go through pain, whatever it may be. It may be spiritual pain, it may be physical pain, it may be emotional pain. Shepherds, we've had pain in our life. We've probably had sheep bite us. And when they bite, they bite hard. And sometimes they don't let go. We still have to be able to equip. We have to equip them for the work and the service. Romans 5.3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. This suffering, there's different words for suffering. This suffering is affliction or distress of mind. And this might describe you. 
your suffering. Maybe there's suffering in your life where you have affliction or distress in mind. Maybe it's, maybe it's the kind of suffering where you're affected by a thing that's either good or bad or to endure evil. That's what this word means in 2 Thessalonians 1.5. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Maybe it's the kind of suffering that it's to suffer evil along with someone else. This is the care of the shepherd, to come along and feel that weight of the people, to feel that weight of their hurt, of their pain, of their suffering, so that we know how to properly equip. We know how to properly use the Bible. 2 Timothy 1.8 says this, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel of the power of God. We're to share, 2 Timothy 2.3, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 4.5, As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work in evangelists, fulfill your ministry. Brothers, those were passages that are pastoral passages. Are we sharing in the people's suffering? This is how we help equip. Are we enduring that suffering? Are we coming into their pain with them? Are we coming into their hardships with them so that we know how to properly equip them? And we equip them for one purpose. What's, that, what, what's the purpose? This is what we equip them for, for the work of service or ministry for the work of service. You want to know why the saints have to be equipped for the work of service or the work of ministry? It's really simple because these two men can't do everything, although they try. They can't do everything. That's why the shepherd teacher comes and he equips for the work of service so that the body can serve each other because we are gifted by Christ to use that gift for each other. This is the work of service. It's very clear in Acts 6, when it, when, um, listen to what happens in Acts 6 here. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve, this is the apostles, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. This is why we equip, is so that the pastors and the elders, that they can devote themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word, to feeding the flock feeding the flock. This is what they have to do. This is, this is in, in, encouraging. This is encouraging to us. You know why? I want you guys to just take a look at your life. Take a look at your Christian life. Take a look at what God has done in your life. You might have some pain. You might have some hardship. Maybe you haven't had any hardship, and maybe you haven't had any pain. But here's the beautiful picture that we see, is that God takes us through things so that we can do what? In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, comfort those with the comfort that he's given us. 
Maybe we look at it this way. Maybe the reason why you went through the pain and the hardship that you've went through was not for you, but maybe it's for somebody else. This is how we come together. This is how we, this is how we serve each other. And we can do this, and we can free up the pastors and the shepherds so that they can be more into the word. And also, just as a sidebar, it's okay to say no to stuff. It's okay to say no. You don't have to be at every single meeting. You don't have to be at every single event. It's okay to say no. You have to look at your own heart. You have to deal with those things. So the equipping goal is our next verse. Why, what is the goal of this equipping? It's the, the goal is ma- it's maturity. Look at verses 13 and 14. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God, to the mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So the goal is maturity, this unity of faith, this oneness in our faith. This word faith, is, is, it's the whole spirit. Uh, realm of christian doctrine we want to be united this oneness in our faith this is the goal this is the goal of the equipping the service of ministry the building up the body why so that we'll be one in our faith that means that we are not divided we are not divided among each other listen to first corinthians 1:10. paul had to deal with this disunity he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of the Lord Jesus, that all you agree, and there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What, a, what I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? No, Christ is not divided. Was Paul crucified you? No, Christ was crucified for us. Or were we baptized in the name of Paul? No, we were baptized in the name of Jesus. We are united under the name of Jesus. This is where we are united. This is the beginning of spiritual maturity. This is the body being built up. This is God's blueprint. But we have to be careful because we are the same way. We are the same way. Disunity, very easy to do let's give an example i'm of john macarthur well i'm of alistair Begg, right or whoever it may be i'm of piper i'm of devers we can have these divisions brothers and sisters john macarthur alistair Begg, john piper and mark devers did not die on a cross for you but jesus christ did we are to be divided, not. We're to be united. And how are we to be united in this oneness? But we're to be united in this oneness in the knowledge of the Son of God. And this knowledge of the Son of God, from what Paul tells, this is more than just, just, a, uh, just this normal knowledge. It's a deep knowledge of who Jesus is. It's a deeper knowledge of who he is. It's a more intimate knowledge of who he is. It's epignosis is the word. Knowledge is just gnosis. When we add that word epi, it's more emphatic, (laughs) is what I want to say. It emphasizes it more. It's a a deeper meaning to it. 
Paul puts it this way. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians 3.8. May this be our heart too as we, deep, as we dive deep into the knowledge of who Christ is. Indeed, I count everything as loss. I love that because he doesn't say I count some things. I count most things. I'm going to hold on to these other things. But he says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, garbage, dung, in order that I may gain Christ. Does that describe your heart, brothers and sisters? That doesn't describe mine, I'll be honest with you. But this is what our hearts should be to the knowledge of the Son of God and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. This is the knowledge of the Son of God. When the body is being built up, brothers and sisters, and we are using our gifts and we are serving each other, we will be this way. We will encourage each other to be this way. We will count everything as lost. We will be in Colossians 2, 2, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. We will want more and more and more of Christ when the body is functioning as it should. This will be our heart's desires. Second Peter 3 says it this way, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever, the day of eternity. John in his first in first John 5:20 says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and the eternal life. When, when the body is, is firing on all cylinders, we begin to mature, we begin to grow, and this is internally. He's growing the church internally, not only in the knowledge of the Son of God, but we'll, we, we will walk as Christ walked, It'll be a Christ-like walk. Listen to Ephesians 4.13. Until we all attain to the unity of faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. There's only one person that has ever walked this planet fully mature in his walk, and that's Jesus Christ. We are always maturing. We're continuing to mature. We're always doing this. We are striving for this. We are striving to be to the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ. As we grow and as we grow in Christ, that's what will happen. We'll want more and more and more of Christ. We'll have that fullness starting to come. That's what's, and we'll begin to walk like Christ. This is God's plan. Eight, Romans 8, 28 and 29. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that we might be the firstborn among many believers. That's what God is doing in our lives. All your pain, all your hardship, 
all your loss, all your grieving, whatever it may be, all your hurt, is to conform you to the image of Christ so that you will reflect Christ. All things work together for good even our trials and our tribulations. This is God's plan, is to make us just like Christ. Shepherds, lead your sheep that way. That's what you're called to do. 1 John 2, 6, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. If you call Christ your Savior, you're in him. Walk as Christ walked. Read your Gospels. See how he walked. See his love for the lost. See his love for his sheep. See his love for his bride, which is you. We can't walk this way perfectly. We never will walk this way perfectly. But Paul pushes us to do this. He pushes us to be mature believers. Colossians 1.28, Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. This is a sermon for all of us, but it's actually a sermon also for just your elders and those that you guys have as leaders. This is what we are to do. God has given you these sheep. Present them back to him. Mature. Not weak in the faith, but mature in the faith. Mature in who Christ is. Philippians 3, 14 and 15. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. Press on, brothers and sisters. Press on. For the upward call of Christ. When we're, when we're, when we, when we're going for this, we're, we're, we're grounded in the word. We're to ground in the word. We're to have sound doctrine. This is what gets us to this maturity, is the sound doctrine. Why do we need sound doctrine? So that we're not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine that comes through the, that, that comes through the church, right? The next best thing that's coming through the church. Oh, we better sign up for it. We got to have it. We've got to have the fog machines. I'd like a fog machine because then it would distort me a lot. Right? We've got to have all the lights. We've got to have all of this. You know, this wind of doctrine that's sweeping through. No, sound doctrine, brothers. You know, when I point this way, I'm talking to right there. You guys are in the middle. So, But preach sound doctrine. Teach sound doctrine to the sheep so that they are rooted and grounded in the word so that they won't be tossed to and fro. Sheep, pray for your pastors. Pray for your elders that they would grow and they would be rooted so they would not be tossed to and fro. And if they start to be tossed to and fro, well, then you go to them and say, you're messing up. We have to do this. We're accountable to each other. This toss to and fro. How are we tossed to and fro? By human cunning, by craftiness, deceitful schemes. Cunning, trickery, craftiness, clever manipulation that makes something false look real or truthful. This is what they do. Deceitful, seduction or deceiving. The New Testament is full 
of warnings of these people that are manipulators. They're trickery. They deceive the sheep. They're in the pulpit. You have to be grounded so that you can detect it when you've got a wolf in the pulpit. You have to have sound doctrine. Listen to Acts 20, what Paul says to the Ephesian elders. And from among you, your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. In Romans 16, 17, and 18, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Call them out. Paul calls them out. Joel Osteen. 50,000 people every Sunday. I'm not afraid to call him out. He doesn't preach a gospel. But man, that dude is slick. I've watched him. He is slick. And he is smooth. And he lives in a multi-million dollar house. Because with trickery and cunning, he twists the truth for his own appetite. If you like Joel Osteen, hey, that's your deal. But I'll call him out. I'll call him out for what he is. And we need to do this, brothers and sisters. We need to do this so that we are sound in the faith. We are sound in doctrine. I'm going to skip our 2 Corinthians 11, 3 and 4. But I'm afraid that as a serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus that the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Isn't that sad? Isn't that a sad statement to the Corinthians? Paul's saying when somebody comes into your congregation, they preach a completely different Jesus, you put up with it. You don't say nothing. That's the trickery that comes in, brothers and sisters. You put up with it. May Faith Bible never be a church that puts up with it. Maybe we call it out right away. Hold on, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. That's not him. I know the Jesus of the Bible. Why? Because I read about the Jesus of the Bible because my elders who love me show me the Jesus of the Bible. We're built up. I'm going to skip 2 Peter 2, okay, Angela? We speak the truth in love with each other. 4.15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. This speaking the truth in love, this is speaking the gospel. The mature believer speaks the gospel in truth. The mature believer does not bring the gospel in a harsh way, but the mature believer brings the gospel in a loving, kind, gentle way. It's not forced. It's not shoved down somebody's throats. It's beautifully put because we put a beautiful Savior on display. That's what the mature believer does. They 
The mature believer grows in Christ. Listen to Galatians 2.20. This is the maturity of, of, our, of Paul. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We grow up into Christ. Philippians 1.21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Death should not scare us. We should not be fearful of a coronavirus because we know where we're headed. We know where we're headed. And finally, the mature, how God builds us in our maturity, we realize as mature believers, because of what our elders are doing for us, as we grow, we realize that Christ energizes the body. Christ is the one that energizes the body. Ephesians 4.16, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is what happens. Christ is the head of the body. The growth is charged by Christ, not the believers and not the leaders. The growth is charged by Christ, his spirit working in us. Not only internally does Christ grow you, but Christ says in the Gospel of Matthew, I will build my church. He will bring the numbers, brothers and sisters. He will bring the numbers. It's his church to build. Christ holds the body together. We see that he is the one who holds it together. Gifted believers are fueled by the Holy Spirit serving in the body. That's what it says, right? This is where he says, uh, in that verse, each part is working properly. Each part is working properly. How many of you guys work on cars? How many of you have tried to work on a car? <laughs> right? You know? Everything has to work properly for the car to run properly, right? If you don't pass smog, there's something not working. So we've got to get it fixed so it's working properly. It's the same thing in the body. Even though this is a small body, it still needs to work properly. We all need to be doing what Christ has gifted us to do so that the body works properly, that it's going and going. And when it's working properly, what is it doing? It's building itself up in love. It's that devoted, committed love that we would have for each other when it's working properly. Oh, but the problem with this is, is this means that we have to be in each other's lives. Sometimes we got to dig in to each other's lives. That's the hard part. But it needs to work properly. Colossians 2.19. And not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together. This is Christ. He nourishes and knits the body together through his joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. That is God's blueprint. God's blueprint is to grow the church from the inside. It's to grow us. And what has he done? He's given us pastors and elders and shepherds to equip the body for the work of service to the building up of the body so that we will all be mature believers. This brings us to Christ. Are you a believer? Let's ask that question. 
We're going to take communion here in just a few minutes. Are you a believer? Have you repented of your sin? Has true conversion grabbed your heart? Have you repented of your sin? Do you see Christ on that cross dying for your sin, taking God's wrath, saving you from his hell? Are you trusting in that death? Are you putting your faith in him? Are you calling out to him? Romans says that we confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart and all who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. Are you looking to the grave and seeing where he is buried and three days later gloriously raised and ascends to the Father? This is who we come to remember. We come to remember a body broken and blood spilt. This is not just any normal thing we come to remember. This is a serious thing. We need to take communion seriously. We need to take communion in 2 Corinthians 13 to examine yourself, to see if you're in the faith. So take a few minutes, brothers and sisters. Examine yourself. Examine your heart. See if you're in the faith. If there's any unrepentant sin in your life, repent of it. If you have to deal with another brother or sister because you have something against them, let this go by. Pass it on. If you're not a believer, Don't even take it. Let it go by. This is for the bride of Christ. If you are repentant, if you are in Christ, rejoice because now you get to be in fellowship with the Son of God who gave his life for you. Let's pray and then we'll have the elders come forward. Father, thank you for our time in your word. Lord, we thank you that you grow us from the inside. I pray now, Lord, that as the psalmist said, that you would search us and know us and reveal to us, Lord, if we are truly yours. Father, may we come and be blown away with the fact that we get to come to this meal. Father, let us come with pure hearts. Cleanse our hearts, Lord. All who are here at Faith Bible today, cleanse our hearts of any sin, of any wrong thinking of any wrongdoing lord cleanse us that we may take the body broken and the cup that christ gave for the new covenant his blood his blood and may we rejoice in that one day we will take this with him in your name amen would the elders come forward
For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The apostle finishes, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Christ. Lord, may our hearts truly want him. May we be a body, Lord, that truly wants to know him and the power of his resurrection. Father, put this in our hearts. Thank you, Father, for today. Thank you for the service today. Thank you for Sunday school. Thank you for everybody that's here, Lord, because I know they are precious and dear in your sight. May Faith Bible, Father, be a faithful church, a loving church, not a small congregation. But when we speak of faith Bible, Lord, may we speak highly of you, how the people here love you and they love each other. And we have sweet fellowship together. May you continue to grow us and mature us in the knowledge of your son. In your name, amen. Let's all stand and let's sing.